We're in the last week of this series. Allison, we love you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for letting us remember what matters most, and that's people and God's touch on people. We've been in four weeks. In preacher time, four weeks is so fast. Does four weeks not just go so fast to anybody else, or is it just me? We're in August. Didn't it feel like we just opened back up for in-person gatherings in January? We're in August, people. Another year has gone, okay? Time is moving. God is doing. Stay committed. But last week was a very hard message to preach because it didn't end well for Israel. What's up, Caleb? My man in the house. Uh, I just shout it like it is. I don't really have a filter. So if I see you and I love you and I think you're, you're awesome, I'm just going to say something right on the spot. It doesn't really change here or there and at home. It doesn't really change. And that can be a problem, but can also be a blessing. <laughs> We've been talking about the one in between, the people of the Bible in between that don't get the credit that they deserve. But if we all got what we really deserved, you know, this is not about us. This is about exalting God. And we've seen through this series of the one in between that even when it came down to it, God would punish his own people to accomplish his will. It wasn't because he didn't love them. It's because he did love them. You know, God has to give tough love to people because he loves you. He loves us. I'm not saying he's like striking you with the lightning rod and God's a punishing God like that. I'm saying there's a consequence to stepping outside of covenant. And so we've been talking about how the house of Eli stepped out of covenant with his two sons in their, their clubbing days. They were clubbing all the time with, with some music and clubbing. And Eli let it go and didn't, didn't want to do anything about it, that it was compromising the integrity. Integrity matters. Integrity in God's house matters. You have to keep integrity or you've lost the truth, essentially. So, so God already knew where it was going to go. So in the process, he puts a baby in Hannah, grazes this baby up, fulfills Hannah's dream to have a baby, but actually fulfilling the call of God to bring a new high priest into the temple, and that's Samuel. And Samuel goes on to be a wonderful ruler for Israel into the days they become a monarchy. And then eventually soon here in Samuel 2, which we won't cover, he will then elect King Saul, the first king of Israel. And then, as we know, King David. But Samuel is the, the in-between guy. And Hannah was the in-between mom. And, and there's all these people in between. And so week two, we saw how Samuel went into the, the temple and started to be mentored by Eli and grow up in his ways. And then he hits a moment where not only did he know of God, but now God anointed him. And so he came into his calling. There's a difference between having a calling and coming into it. If you don't ever get into your calling, you can waste some oil. You can waste it. There's a really good bottle of oil in my pocket, but if I never open it and use the thing, it's nothing. It's worthless. Until I use what's in the jar that God provided me, I am not accomplishing God's mission. And so God put Samuel in there to take the cap off that thing. And he 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 was tricking, he, Samuel was getting tricked by this. He thought Eli was talking to him in his sleep and he was having dreams. He says, is that you, God? Is that you, God? And God said, yes, it's me. And God used Eli to touch Samuel for God's glory as Eli was getting ready 
to end in a very ugly way. Like God just uses everybody for all seasons, for all things to glorify him so that the oil can keep flowing. And so then in, in, in last week, we saw that after this, Israel gets in a battle with the Philistines and they take for granted God. I never thought I'd be the preacher to say it to the church, but we don't want to be the church or the people or the community that takes God for granted in a way that we start forgetting about the Ark of the Covenant. In battle, when you start trying to fight God with your own fists, you will lose hard. You weren't meant to do it. We don't fight with these. We're, we're, we're going to preach another sermon in a few weeks called Built to Finish, and it's about winning God's battle, but it's not with these. It's about with this, because God is the source. You were built to finish what God started. So last week, they played games with God for a season. And so then they left the ark, and they lost the, the little battle. And then they said, well, let's just go grab the ark, because they become so traditional. They thought the statue was more important than what the statue signified. There's no power in the ark. It's the anointing that was on the ark that gave it power in the wars. You with me? So they forgot the anointing, but they brought the ark to the battlefield. And guess what? The Philistines took it. How many remember that? Amen. And then poor Eli, they go home to tell that, that old guy. And he just had a bad day. He fell and hit his neck. And well, that was the end of him. And then God took out his sons in the war. And then God took out his daughter-in-law. I mean, this was getting ugly. And I'm like, how am I going to end this sermon unless it's a to be continued? Because God never ends it like that for good. It's just a season. So we left last week with the Philistines taking the ark back to their camp, back to their town, and trying to put it with their gods. And that's where we're leaving off today. And I'm going to try really hard to get through all this in the short time we have. Isn't it going to be cool someday when we don't have to watch the clock? I'm not saying I'm going to be that really long-winded preacher that I hated growing up. I'm saying, but it would be nice not to have, like, we can have the extra 10 minutes if we need it. Would anybody like that? Would that be a good thing? Like, you don't have to golf clap because you really say, no, keep it 30 minutes. You, you can, like, like, really, would that be good if we didn't have to be stuck on that? Just keep praying. Keep letting God use you, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> God will do it. God will do it. So we're believing for that. But um, that was just kind of a funny joke. But it's truthful. God will do it. We're covering chapter six today. It was really hard to cover six chapters in four weeks and 30 minutes each. So to give you context of where we are in chapter six, I'm going to give you a brief overlook of chapter five. See, this is where they had captured the ark, and then they tried to put it with Dagon. Am I saying that right? Their God. They tried to put God, the only God of Israel, the ark, with the ark represented, in with the Philistine pagan gods. And so that didn't work so well. You can't put God where he's not meant to be, and you can't serve God in the way he's not meant to be served, and so forth. And so, can I say hell? All hell broke loose in the Philistine world with plagues, tumors, sickness, disease, and I'm not saying that to be cute. I'm saying it because that's what happened. People were sick and dying, and it got so bad. This is after they thought they had won the victory. You can win the battle but lose the war. Victory looks like, you know, losing looks like winning, and winning can look like losing sometimes. And so 
this is where we start off in chapter six. And now they're like, uh, I don't know if that was a good idea to take this thing. Maybe we should do something with it. So let's go to chapter six. We're going we're gonna to zip through these one through 21 verses real quick. I told Lalani, if I go through the scripture for 80 minutes, just keep playing. It's okay. <laughs> Not 80, 17. It says, when the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. Can you believe it? You ever got something that you're like, this is not what I expected, uh, and it became a burden? It became more trouble than it was worth. They answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. Wow, generous Philistines. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed, and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors, ooh, that sounds just lovely, and five gold rats, oh, that sounds just, I'm putting that on my mantle, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, this was more symbolic than anything of power is what these represented, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers, so they're sending back symbols of what the plague has done to them as a mercy gift, saying, we're sorry. They're showing statues of those who had been defeated, the, the five towns, the five rulers. Verse 5 says, Make models of the tumors and the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your God and your land. Referring to what happened to the Philistines. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their own way? Now then, get a new cart ready. We're going to roll this thing into town. Rolling into town with the subs kicking. Get a new cart ready with two cows. You heard of rolling on doves? What about rolling on cows? Anybody? And have the calved, and that have calved, get two cows that have calved, and that have never been yoked, hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and in the chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering, send it on its way. So take the ark, put it on a cart, get some cows. We're gonna have the cows plow it into Beth, Beth, um, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I'm, I'll get to it in a minute. Beth Shemesh, yeah. Beth Shemesh. And um, that's something I say every day. And, um, and then we're gonna put the gifts, the parting gifts with it. Okay, the rats and the tumors. Gold, solid gold. But keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory, ter territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this, greater, this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance. So they did this, verse 10. They took the two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Verse 12, then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Keep in mind, you're not supposed to look at the ark directly or bad things happen. 
it's like looking right at God's glory and it's too much and uh, you die. So the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came up to the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart, sacrificed the cows for some barbecue, a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock on the day that the people of Beshemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. Verse 16, the five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then they returned the same day to Ekron. Okay, delivery complete, let's go is what they said. These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one for each town or ruler, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Goth, and Ekron, you know, and the number of the gold rats was according to the number of the Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the four to five towns with their country villages. The large rock, which the Levites set the ark of the Lord, set, uh, set of the ark of the Lord, is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. So even after they got it back, some of them broke the protocol and looked into the ark. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt with them, so it kind of scared them too. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, well, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go from here? Okay, let's get rid of it also. Now the Israelites are wanting to give it to someone else, one of the other tribes. Then verse 21, they sent messengers to the people of Kirath Jerim, Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it to your town. You take it. No, really, you can have it. No, it's all right. No, really, really. Yeah, we lost 70, but I'm not going to tell you that. It's just for you. You take it with your gold rats and your gold tumors. It's all for you. We're giving Israel. We're giving people. You take it. See, they're all appearing so generous, but they're all actually terrified because of God. The final title of this series is God's Golden Rule. How many know the Golden Rule? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Right? This this is one I learned. And um, God's Golden Rule is a little different, but it's similar. It's similar. And um, so what do we do when we take possession of something that God didn't intend for us to have? That's essentially what happened here. We always pray, God, just bless us with this or that here on earth. But not everything is God's will for you to have here on earth or in your life. And the Philistines were dealing with the reality that they had defeated Israel in the battle, but were dealing with an almighty God in a war. They started to question if they could win or if they even should win. Could and should are two different things. Could is like, is it possible? Should is like, it's not meant for me. There's a difference. After all the work the Philistines had put into capturing the holy ark of God's covenant, they were recklessly and impatiently trying to send it back with the fastest shipping option available. It was more trouble than it was worth to them. Remember, the ark of the covenant represented a covenant with God's chosen people, Israel, not a covenant with people outside of his people. So you're essentially breaking the covenant, and you may have the ark, but if you don't have the covenant, the ark is deadly to you. It's poison. It's, it's backwards. You want to give it back. 
when we take things into our possession that is contrary to God's intention, and I know this confidently, this will have a negative impact on what I'm asking God to deliver in my life. When I shortcut the time for the relationship to flourish, I end up with the baby daddy, no marriage. I end up, when I, when I, when I cheat people to get money quick, I end up with a broke bank account because no one will work with me again. Like, like when we shortcut and cut corners, there's a consequence. I'm not talking about honest mistakes. I'm talking about the pattern of trying to shortcut God's will in our life. I love how they tried to fancy the gift up. That was really good. They just wanted to go all out, like, 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 like uh, baby, baby announcement, gender reveal, all out. We don't want the cheap sandwiches. It's the last one. We're going to go all out, says the Philistines, in this pursuit to just give it back after all the work they did to take it all in hopes that by doing good to God's people, they would reap less consequences, the reality of what they were trying to do because they knew God wasn't messing around. Look to your neighbor and tell him, sometimes you just got to give it back. Sometimes you got to give it back. I had a friend steal a pocket knife from my house when I was like 11. I didn't know he took it. I had a really violent arsenal of knives when I was about 11. I had the Raphael Psy, Rusty, the real ones, butterfly knives, real nunchucks, and a practice pair. Never got the Chinese star, but I had the magazine to order one. I think my mom drew the line there because of death. I did want to get the grappling hook, but I had these pocket knives. They were the cheap things in the thing, and I, I had a sleepover, and the buddy leaves, and all of a sudden, about an hour later, he comes back with his mom, um, Jeff, we just want to let you know that Stephen took your pocket knife and he's going to give it back now. I'm like, oh, what a jerk, man. You took my knife? Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, I didn't even know you took it. But if I had not known, I wouldn't even notice it was gone. I mean, who really uses the little toothpicks in those things? Little Swiss Army knife. I had a Rambo knife right next to it. Why would I want that little cheap one? You can have it. <laughs> but sometimes we got to give it back. And sometimes God will use the humility of having to give it back to learn. He didn't want to, he don't like punishing people. Remember even the Philistines, God created them. Just because they weren't God's chosen, God made them. Jesus doesn't want any to, to perish. It's not a punishment or a sentence. It's stepping out of covenant is what it is. People really get that confused. It's not hate, it's covenant. It's not dislike for you or them, it's covenant. We stay in covenant, we live by covenant, and that's our, that's our example. And so when you speak of covenant today, people are like, well, I don't like that there's a covenant. And there's like, you know, options, choices. But sometimes God had to say to the Israelites, who do you think I am? I'm going to have to show you sometimes who I am. Because when you forget who I am, you turn my house into a nightclub, okay? And God says, I don't, I don't even like that music. That was, that was 1990s music. I want some newer music in my club if you're going to do it. No, he didn't say that. But they made it a den of thieves, just like Jesus overturned the tables, and they, made, they were money changing in the temple, and, and Jesus turned the tables over 
said, you're making a den of thieves. It's the same thing way back here in Samuel. They were making his house into um, unclean, sinful, an opportunity to do more damage for the future is what they were creating. Small decisions leads to bigger decisions. Bigger decisions that lead to damage lead to more damage. It's destructive and it's, it's uh, generational. So God had to fix the generation in the moment to keep the next generation focused on the will of God. The Philistines tried to take the ark and put it next to Dagon. In chapter 5, it says Dagon broke and was found broken and messed up, their statue, because they tried to demote God to something that was not holy. We can't take God, and, and this is the Philistines' lesson they learned in this. But we can, we can live in both seasons. We can live in the season as the Israelites who lost the ark, and we can also be in the season of the Philistines who, who dealt with the ark in a way that wasn't meant for them. And so sometimes we just got to give it back. It wasn't meant for them. Have you ever worked for something really hard, really hard, and then had to give it away or give it back? Anybody? I'd have to think about that, like something really hard that I just had to give it back. Sometimes in uh, computer programming, if you want to go geek with me for a minute, you can do a lot of work, and if you don't um, keep committing the code to what's called a vault, and then your machine croaks, it all goes bye-bye, and you have to do it again. That's like giving it back. So you have to do it again. That was a really bad example. It's because we were talking about programming. Thanks, Derek, before church. <laughs> He's a sequel guy. God says, who do you think I am? You got to give it back. I know. Motorcycles. Anybody ever had a motorcycle? Jeff, I know you got a motorcycle. My motorcycle, I had to give it back because this is before I had children and I was not equipped to handle such a large piece of machinery, Jeff. So I'm going to say this was for me. And I bought the thing and uh, you know the throttle is next to the brake on the, it's like if you squeeze weird, you can brake, but you can actually go. Or if you go, you can actually brake depending on how you grab it. And so this was like a big piece of machinery and I had built this workbench in my, my garage, and this was pre-Chloe, um, which ultimately got me to sell that thing and give it back. But I was, <laughs> this is funny. Get ready to laugh. I was, I was pulling in the garage. You know, I'm at the end of the ride. This is the easy part. Well, what I do to hit the brake, I hit the gas and slam it straight into my workbench and bust the lights out. I crashed in my garage going two miles an hour. Or like the other time I was on the driveway, Jeff, and I, I got a little bit too sideways, and all of a sudden I couldn't stop that thing, and bam, we go down in the front yard. And I'm like, did anybody see me on my Honda Shadow? Supposed to be cool. I had the cool flip-up helmet. And... and then there was the other time where I was pulling out in Winghaven Boulevard and just stalled, and my brother's in front of me, and he's gone. I'm like, help. It's just stalled, and there's traffic, and it's, it's their turn to go. And I'm sitting here like, is this the end of me? Do they run me over or do they wait? What will happen? Or then there was the one time we were riding by Quail Ridge Park on the thing and, and my, my wheel caught the curb around the turn and man, I almost went, woo, over there. <laughs> Off the road, I could feel like, whoo, and I just prayed for a second. God put me back on the road. And so there was a point where I realized this was not for me. This was not meant for me. So sometimes you just got to give it back. 
So I sold it back on Craigslist and made a profit. That was the good part. But God says, you got to give it back. Who do you think I am? The Philistines tried to contain the ark, but it just was not meant to be contained by them. So they had to give it back. And they gave it back gladly with cherry on top, gold rats and tumors. Oh, this is so good. You gave it to me with nothing. I'm going to give you a double blessing with some of these gold gifts. That's how bad God will cause you to give it back sometimes. I don't want to make like relationships the focus of this, but have you ever thanked God? Like, oh my God, thank you for letting it be not that, that that did not work. I'm going to give it back with a double blessing. You can take that and give it to anybody else because that's not for me. But I thought that was the will of the Lord. And I was so emotionally invested in what I thought God wanted that I was destroying my life. Anybody ever had that? No one has had a bad relationship. Except Mike and me. It's just decision making. Our emotions get into the way of thinking how cool the ark will be until we find out it's going to break our Dagon. Not Dagon, Dagon statue. They had to give it back. They seemed generous. They really did. They weren't. You know when a lot of times people who you don't expect gifts from give you a gift? It's probably because you gave them one first. (laughs) Is anybody else guilty of this? Am I the only selfish gift giver? Come on, somebody. You know you wouldn't have given them the gift if they hadn't given you one, and then you feel obligated, and then you're caught in this thing like, well, i got to give them one. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, but that's not out of the heart. That's out of obligation. That's out of guilt. So I don't do that anymore. I just let Michelle give all the gifts. That way it's, it's truthful and good. But, but, but what they did is they tried to make it look so good for them, like, you know, we're sorry. We're sorry we took your ark. I mean, I know it kills people if you look at it. We're sorry. We're going to get you some stuff on Amazon. It's going to be great. We're going to cater the whole thing. We're going to send you some barbecue on wheels. Don't look at the ark. And we're going to send it, and, and, you know, it may kill a few, but ultimately you're going to get back your baby. And, and, and we're going to put some gifts on it. But really they were so terrified of what they tried to do to God, and they knew the consequence. It had nothing to do with Israel. Them giving that bat had nothing to do with Israel. It had to do with them fearing God. Like, I'm not saying be terrified, but sometimes it might be good to just give it back because you said, you know what? God didn't want me to have this. That's a hard thing to do. We call it, well, I can't say that. It's not PC anymore. We call it being a trick. I don't know what you call it nowadays, Vincent, and everything is not PC, but when you take it and then you don't, then you got to give it back, we, you know. It's not culturally cool. Yes. Yes, there you go. You go, sister. (laughs) Sister, wow, this is getting old school quick. Brother Dan, just kidding. All right, so what God does in this moment of giving it back anyway is produces growth. Even the Israelites started to not want it back. Because they were so cocky from being absent with God that they forgot, don't look at the thing. You weren't meant to look at it. So it killed 70 of them. So then they're like, who else can I give it to? What tribe can I trick into taking it? Because they're going to think I'm generous. And really, I'm looking out for me. That's what they were doing. So they ultimately sent it to uh, Kir- Kiriath-Jerim. 
yeah, you know, down there by Target. Sometimes, though, you got to do it. You got to give it back because there's growth in the transition and awkwardness of dealing with the mistake. It is a mistake. Israel represents us in this also that we didn't deserve to get it back, you know? Like, they didn't deserve to even get the thing back. But that's showing something positive here, guys, that God really loved them. He didn't leave them. He ultimately was going to bring it back. Because remember, the mission is to build the monarchy here, get to a king. He's not, he's not selling out to the Philistines. He's trying to help them get to the goal. And to get to the goal, you got to fix some things. You want to stay broke, but you can't succeed if you stay broke. you got to get to the goal by fixing some things. And God said, i got to fix my people and teach them something. And there's growth in that transition. Some of you all don't know, or some of you can witness to this, that you don't notice the transition, and you look back on the last five years of your life, and you can witness to it because you see the growth in the transitions. It didn't feel like nothing in the moment, and then in hindsight, you're like, man, did God do a good work in me? Come on, somebody. Has God done anything to any dry bone, or is there a pulse in this place? He loves you, but you got to let him in to change it up, to fix it. Israel needed that reminder that he is supreme. Supreme. How many out there really think of God like that, that he is supreme? That's strong language. Well, he loves me and he has mercy, but he is supreme. It means he is everything. I can't function without him first. That's so religious. No, it's not. That's actually so Jesus. You want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. That means you got to have something stronger to stand on. That's why Jesus is the rock. When I step aside off the rock, I become Eli's two sons. Sometimes you got to give it back, and it hurts. It, it shows defeat. But some of the best ways to grow is to step back so you can step forward. Some God has to take, sometimes God has to take it away to remind you what is good. No chastening. I say it all the time. No chastening, no growth. If you endure chastening, that means you're a son or daughter to the king. If God uses you and you endure chastening on God's behalf, that means you're a son and daughter of the king. That's a promotion. You should be joyful. If God can trust you, he wants to use you. If you don't feel nothing, I dare you to ask God to give you some trouble to work through. I dare you, God, give me something to fight through this week for your glory. Because, God, I know if you put me in it, I can get through it. But if I don't ever feel nothing, God's waiting on something. You know what it is, Mike. You step, I step. Well, well step, and then talk about it later. Just try it, okay? <laughs> That's how he works. This is getting to the meat here, and I'm going to try to get through this last part. 
what did God do in this process? He gave. I don't know if you're going to get this. This is deep stuff. He destroyed them so he could give back to them. He gave. He gave for them. He didn't have to do that. He could have let them. He gave. He showed them, I'm a God who gives. God says, I'm a generous God. I'm given to you whether you deserve it or not because my giving is not based on the condition of if you meet the requirement. It's because I love you first. I will give it back to you. Perhaps this is going to hurt, but I love y'all. What are you not giving back to God? Oh, that's real talk. Well, I got this and that. I'm just saying, to go from convenience to necessity, God says, I have to be supreme. And I'm not talking about pizza. I have to be the ground. And if I don't give like God gave to me, I'm not a giver. But my God spared me when I made his house a nightclub, and he loved me enough to bring the ark back to me because he gave it back to me. Anyway, you getting this? This is bigger than restoration. This is showing the heart of God and his giving generous nature in that the church has to be generous with everything. Has to be. That's what draws them into the house. Generosity. God says, I gave it back. God stays faithful. And he shows it by his giving. Have you ever been standing in Beth Shemesh when God showed up and realized he gave it back to you? Y'all can stand with me. God stays faithful to Israel in this moment when the two cows take the ark up the hill to Beth Shemesh, and then they send it off to the next town, but Have you ever been standing in this moment where God gave it back to you and you you recognized what he did? Like, I hate corona, but I can tell you a lot of people with corona said, God gave it back to me. I'm talking about the healing, restoration. I'm not talking about the plague. I'm saying, God, God gave me back my life that so many have lost. Just like that. Like, God loves me so much. Like, People recognize God in that moment. At the same time, feared community. So it's this weird paradigm right now. But, but at the end of the day, that was a global witness that God still exists in the world. Even to those who we call the Philistines who just want to say, God is not in it. He's touching them. He's healing people right now with coronavirus that don't even know who Jesus is because he's going to give it back anyway. Because he wants them in covenant. He wants them in it. That's how generous God is. So what are we not giving back to God today that he was meant to have? You thought he left you. He was loving you. By allowing the season, you got to have the seasons 
And some seasons are not fair. Some seasons are inexcusable. Some seasons we see children go through. We see innocent people go through. They're not fair. We love God anyway. And we thank God that he gave it back. That he gave his love back. That he gave himself through the sacrifice on the cross. That he gave it back. He didn't have to do that for us. He chose because he loves us bigger than anything else. He loves us bigger than the animals and bigger than the trees. He loves you bigger than all the things. He loves you bigger than that. So no matter what, he will always give it back if you ask him. Even Israel, he loved them enough that they, they, they cry out and he says, okay, I stand with you. Sometimes to gain the greatest abundance of all God has is to simply give it back like God gave it to you. Let's pray and then give our best worship today. God, we give it back to you in all our areas of faithfulness, God. We have to take a stand with ourselves and say, I'm choosing to do it all the way. I want you to move in a way, God, that you send something back to the camp, but you are waiting on me to let it go, to show me that you're all in, to show you that I'm all in, God, so I don't want to compromise on my end. I want to get all the way in the water. I don't want to just stick my toe in the water. I want to jump in the pool, God. I want head-to-toe restoration, and I can't be restored when only part of it's in your, in your water, Lord. So, God, let this be a message for tomorrow, a message of hope that though we felt like Israel and what Philistine has done to us, you came back to us. You never left us. You are working and fighting for us and because you have a mission for this church and you have a mission for your people and that we should be established and reign on the throne as your people in the house for all eternity. God, touch all the ailments in this house. We give you thanks right now. We call it done. So be it, God. Touch and bring pain relief to those in need here and far. And God, touch our minds and our hearts to be a generous people of God. And if the house of God can say in Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen.